and welcome to Hey, I Like, the podcast where we talk about all the things that make our little neurodivergent brains go bonkers. I am joined here today by two very special guests. I'm going to let you battle for supremacy on who gets to introduce themselves first. So go for it, guys. All right. Well, uh, I'm new around here. I'm Aero um, and she, her. Fabulous. Hi, I'm JJ, uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. That's a lie. What are we talking about today, guys? So today we are going to talk about Judaism or the Jewish religion, which is um, very dear to me, both personally and intellectually, because I am Jewish. I was raised Jewish, and um, I care a lot about Jewish thought and culture and people. Pretty cool. Amazing. And I'm here too. Um, I'm I'm planning on going. My conversion studies are currently on hold due to my autoimmune disorder is uh, kind of fucking up my life. But once like that is resolved, I'm hoping to like go through my conversion studies and take a bunk a, a dunk in a bath and come out Jewish. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That that is pretty much what happens when you convert. It's <laughs> yeah, you, you do a couple essays, you talk to some guys, uh, you take a dunk in a bath, and you emerge singing, and then you're Jewish, and that's how Aww. it works. Of course yes. it is. <laughs> of course it is. That is all there is to it. <laughs> Nothing more complex than that, I promise. It's definitely not like at least two years of very strenuous study. I definitely not. There's, it's a lot of it's a lot of studying in this religion. Who oh boy? Oh, there's a reason it's the people of the book, and uh, boy howdy, are there a lot of books? <laughs> Sounds like my kind of thing. <laughs> uh, weirdly enough, there's a large amount of autistic converts because they look at this and go, "Yeah, that sounds like it's perfect for me." <laughs> oh my god, that makes so much sense. Yep. Also, a lot yeah. of trans converts as well. Trans autistic converts make up like the bulk of the converts that I've met. Interesting. So, just a disclaimer obviously, these are our experiences and knowledge about Judaism are not universal. These are our own personal perspectives. Um, and everybody has a different way of being Jewish. Everybody does Judaism differently. So, what you hear, here is not necessarily going to be what you'll hear from other people, right? Yeah. Yep. And I, uh, I and love how we've got two entirely different perspectives on this because, like, Eri, you've been Jewish like your entire life. Yep. You were raised that way, and obviously mm. you're American as well. So yeah. across the pond differences, and JJ's like converting. So we've got two entirely different ends of that spectrum, which is great. So yeah yeah which is super cool we have a little diversity of experiences here um yes. yeah so uh i'll get into it brief overview judaism is one of the one of if not the first monotheistic religion which means it's one of the first to have one god that is like perfect and ideal and what everybody strives for as opposed to like the Greek and Roman pantheon, where there were a whole bunch of gods, and they were like getting into all kinds of shit. So, yeah, 
now we have now this is the first one that has one god and christianity and islam are religions that are also like based to some extent on judaism and on the whole idea of having like a moral perfect god that people strive to be like which is in some ways a little bit funny considering the amount of times that you read something that god does and you're like oh god just completely forgot that this group of people that like there was a covenant with just completely forgot they existed for like two centuries and then suddenly remembered again of like the idea of a perfect god being incredibly forgetful yeah yeah it does it does be like that i mean (laughs) (laughs) because we don't understand god totally it's more like metaphors for what god might feel but it's all very much beyond human understanding and like Judaism kind of acknowledges that there are things that we won't and cannot understand, which is great because intellectual curiosity is important. And like a lot of the time, the term God itself is sort of meaningless because of like just the ways in which you can conceive God are very human ways. So the term God is fundamentally flawed because it's human which I really appreciate, like, just, uh, that, that's just, like, a thing that a lot of, like, the Jewish people that I meet are just like, yeah, we don't really understand God. God's sort of a meaningless term that we've just decided to call this thing. That's yep, fine. Pretty, and... pretty much. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, there are different names for God also, like, if you get really mm-hmm. into, like, the spiritual, mystical stuff, there's, like, a lot of different names for God, but, oh, yeah. um, yeah, mostly there, I just there's a lot of name. Yeah. There's a lot of names besides just the name. Uh and like you will see a lot of times in like Torah study as well, like the the name that is used for God in that particular instance gives a lot of weight to what is being said. Um Yes. That's true. That's true. So like if God is in a particularly judgy mood they'll use a specific name for him that like kind of denotes that judginess mm-hmm. yeah or 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 a name that denotes mercy like it it, it really depends but yeah. um so yeah judaism is kind of like a unique way of seeing god as opposed to other religions um uh yeah so that's kind of cool um what else did we want to talk about i'm blanking um, uh, you're the go- you're the ones with notes. <laughs> I know. So, we we did like have a discussion about what exactly we wanted to talk about, uh, and one of those things was like, so first off, do you want to like talk about like what kind of Judaism you were raised in, um, and like go a little into depth about like your Jewish life growing up, if you're happy with that? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Let's start from there. So. My parents were both are both Jewish, but they were raised kind of non-observant, less religious. And mm-hmm. when they both got when they both got older, they decided they wanted to raise their family, as in me and my siblings, in like a more traditional kind of Orthodox setting. So that's how I grew up. I uh, you know learned Hebrew in school, which is the like the main Jewish language. Um, and I went to Jewish schools and. I um I learned a lot about it. So that's kind of my life. And you know, whenever I get married eventually, I'm hoping to marry another Jew because traditionally 
you want to kind of propagate the religion by marrying people who share your values and kind of raise a family that also shares your values. That's kind of where I'm at. Uh, you're Ashkenazi, right? Um, yeah. Okay. We want to go in about that as well. Yeah, let me define the term. So Ashkenaz is kind of the general term for Jews who come from Europe, like kind of uh, Western. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like Germany, France, Poland, parts of Eastern Europe. Also, it is basically European Judaism. So my family, for example, comes from like. I don't know, somewhere in Poland, somewhere in Galicia, in like near the Ukraine. I don't know. None of none of those countries actually had names back then, but you know where you know what area I'm talking about. That's yeah. Uh, um, most of the Jews in America are Ashkenaz in some form or another. Mm-hmm. As opposed to like Sephardi Jews who more come from Spain and more are associated with like, oh, hmm. Um, do you have a better explanation for Sephardi Jews or Mizrahi Jews? Uh, probably more Mediterranean, um, and that sort of area would be Sephardi. Um, Mizrahi, I'm, it, it's a little more complicated, uh, in yeah. terms of like spreading out and then coming back again. Um, right. So, but wait, more, t- no, you go, it's all right. No, you're probably right. It's more Mediterranean, more Middle East. So those are kind of mm. like the two main groups of ethnic Jews that people talk about is Ashkenaz and Sephardi. And um, they used to really not get along. But nowadays, uh, it's, there's more of a like a um, there's more of a unity and like, oh, yeah, we're all Jewish. I mean, honestly, the, there's like a few customs that divide them, but it's really not that different from each other besides where they come from. Yeah. I mean, like, we've had, at one point, we had uh, an Italki Jewish rabbi uh, running um, our, the services that I go to are traditional Ashkenazi, like, we're not technically affiliated with the Orthodox, like, with, like, British Orthodoxy, but mm-hmm. we are fundamentally, like, in all the ways that matter, an Orthodox synagogue. Um Right. So, like, there's only two synagogues in our area, so you either go to mine or the liberal one. And so mm-hmm. a lot of, like, the Mazzotti, uh, a lot of the Mazzotti Jewish community will end up going to the more orthodox one instead of the liberal one. Although they do, you know, vary between where they go. Um, um, but we did at one point have an Italki rabbi trying very, very hard to lead an Ashkenazi service. Um Oy. Hmm? Did it work? Uh, yeah, it worked. Uh, we we made it work. Uh, she was very very good as well. Um, uh, and every now and again she would ask some of the people there what tunes that she should use for some of the um the prayers oh, because sweet. she was just like I I don't know what tune uh you guys use so tell me what tune and I'll work with it. Oh, so can you can you define what Masorti is? Um, Mazzotti is like, uh, the closest comparison point is American conservative Judaism for like, for America. It's kind of, I don't want to describe it as a halfway point between orthodoxy and 
liberal Judaism, but it kind of is. Um, mm. It tends to take a more traditional stance on things like services are led in Hebrew, um, but also, and also like uh, most people tend to keep kosher and uh, keep Shabbat and like are very like strict in that sense, but also tend to be much more liberal in terms of like social values. So you can get female rabbis, uh, services mm. are uh, egalitarian, um, and also people tend to be much more chill about gender and sexuality in my experience. Um, right. So it's like, yeah. We don't really mm -hmm. have like reform and reconstructionist uh, like in the same way that America does. Um, it just right. tends to all be, it tends to all be grouped under liberal. Interesting. Okay, so that's a whole lot of terms that I'm going to explain now, but um, <laughs> basically uh, a rabbi is sort of kind of the religious leader. I don't really want to say priest. I don't know. I don't know no. if that is accurate. Is that an accurate analogy? I don't know. They're the religious leader. They like are leaders of the community. They answer religious questions. They kind of have relation spiritual relationships with the community. Uh, traditionally, in orthodoxy, they are men, but in more liberal circles, there are women also. Um, so uh, that's pretty cool. Um, just like in Christianity, there are a lot of different Jewish sects. So I belong to like a more orthodox sect, which is a little bit more traditional and, um, and a little stricter. And then JJ is talking about like the more liberal sects, such as like conservatism and reform, at least here in America, that are a little bit more lax with all that religious stuff. Does that mm -hmm. sound fair? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, wait, what else were we gonna talk about? Uh, oh yeah, so um, you mentioned also keeping kosher and Shabbos. Do you wanna touch on those real quick? Uh, sure. Um, so, there are like, most people know that there are like, quote unquote, food rules for Judaism, uh, for what you, for what is like, yes, pure to eat and what is not, what is the right things to eat and what is kind of a taboo to, to eat. Uh, mm -hmm. in, like, we are commanded, do not eat this stuff, even if it doesn't make sense, don't eat yep. this stuff, um, because it is impure. Um, or sometimes I think it's eagles that are described as abominations. Um, at one yeah. Point. Uh, you can't eat eagles; they're abominations. Um, <laughs> uh, the same word is used. This word that they use to describe eagles is the same one that they used to to describe homosexuality-ish uh, earlier on uh, in mm. uh, as well. So it's the exact same word. So um, eagles are abominations. Um, Funny about and, that. Yeah, funny about that, eagles. Um, <laughs> so most people know no pork, no shellfish. Um, there are other things like not mi mixing meat and, mil meat and milk. Uh, things like uh, don't eat insects, for example, and don't eat blood, and don't eat anything that is still living. Don't eat from a still living thing. That's fucked up. Um, yeah, <laughs> it is indeed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the blood thing has spurred many a conversation amongst me and my friends about uh, the concept of Jewish vampires and oh, would I it be that. okay 
for a Jewish vampire to drink blood? Uh, and the answer is, it depends on the vampire. Um, Interesting. So, <laughs> um, so, like, those are the kind of more classic kosher rules. Uh, you can get, like, further into it in terms of, like, separation of meat and milk. Meat and milk. Like, how long do you have to wait after eating meat before you can eat something containing milk? Or things like, do we keep the meat cutlery separate from the dairy cutlery? And, well, fish isn't really meat and it isn't really milk. So is it a different thing entirely? Um, oh my gosh, it gets so complicated. And it gets complicated also because some of these rules make sense. Like, don't eat insects. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. But then there are rules that, like, just have absolutely no basis in logic, like don't eat certain types of birds. And the Torah, which is the Torah, which is the main body of Jewish law and stories, does not give any reason for it. You just gotta kind of roll with it. So we do, yep. but it's hard, and it's hard to like kind of make um, make a lifestyle around that because like I don't know why I'm doing this, but I gotta do it. So we're doing it. <laughs> I keep seeing like... I keep seeing people talking about the um these kinds of things on on Tumblr. And um the one I saw most recently was them talking about how the um not eating pork, not eating shellfish, and not mixing linen and wool specifically were actually really sensible. <laughs> because if you don't cook pork correctly, you will die. Um, if you don't cook shellfish correctly, you will die. Um, and linen and wool do two completely different things, just as like fibers. So yeah, mixing them before, together yeah. makes no sense. So, <laughs> even so before, you know, maybe like, about... maybe at the time they did make sense, and we've just lost the context. Who knows? Yeah, that is entirely I mean, possible. Even before, like. I got interested in Judaism. Well, actually, no, I've been interested in Judaism on and off since I was like 14, so that's like 10 years now. But before I considered it as like a serious option for me, the, the linen and wool thing made total sense. Like, I grew up in a family where everyone did like some sort of fiber craft, and I looked at linen and I looked at wool and went, yeah, obviously you're not going to mix those two. They are just not a good combination together. It does not make sense why they'd be together. It's it's absolutely pointless to put them together in this sense. Um, yeah, and then things like keeping Shabbos, like, um, there's a lot of rules about what you can and cannot do on Shabbat, and uh, effectively it comes down to don't work, uh, don't buy things, uh, go to synagogue, uh, pray, and eat bread. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So Shabbos is traditionally on from the time the the space from sat from Friday night to Saturday night where you're just supposed to chill. You don't do work. You don't do business. You don't plow the land or whatever. You're just supposed to like kind of have a spiritual day off. Um, and that over the years sort of translated to no electricity, no traveling, no driving. Uh, depending on like how religious you are, there's like a whole spectrum of what you do and what you don't do. But you're also supposed to be, you're also traditionally supposed to hang out with family and have big meals and kind of, it's community bonding, basically, yeah. is my Aww. sense. Uh, for a, a long time, um, because we don't really keep 
pens or pencils um, around for use on Shabbat uh, in our synagogue. Uh, I was effectively used as Shabbos Goy for writing things down um, because, you know, I'm not halakhically bound in the same way as other people are. So I can just write things down if they ask me to because, sure, I get a kick out of it. I like being helpful. Um, so a Shabbos Goy is effectively a non Jewish person who you ask to just do things um, yeah. <laughs> uh, on Shabbat that you're not allowed to do. Uh, and generally, every Jewish community has at least one, uh, at least one guy that they're just like, hey, can you come over and do this thing for me? Can you turn on this light for me? Hey, so uh, I, after Shabbat started, I turned off my bathroom light and now I can't turn it back on again. Can you come turn on my bathroom light for me? Um, yep. So it's less of a thing now for like automated lights in synagogues mean that a lot of times they don't need like Shabbos Goy to come around and to turn on the lights in the synagogue because it's set to a timer so they just turn on automatically um yeah but so there are obviously like, there are obviously loopholes or like you put lights on a timer or you leave things on you leave things cooking on all night so that you yeah. know it still works but you're not necessarily breaking Shabbos but Judaism is all about finding loopholes in these rules and like we didn't going with what you got. <laughs> we refused to, re we skipped reading out on a contract one time uh, and now we're going to be looking for loopholes in the contracts until the day we die. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> it's all loopholes, there's nothing but loopholes. I mean, one of like the most popular Jewish dishes around was founded entirely on a loophole. Have you ever had cholent? Yes. Yep. Yes. <clears throat> okay, so cholent is like this very thick meat stew with like beans and barley and pretty much anything you put in it. And it's traditionally made on and it's traditionally eaten on Saturday for lunch. And the idea is that you leave it cooking all night on Friday so that it's all cooked for Shabbos. And that is just one giant loophole to get out of not Shabbos cooking. It's hilarious. <laughs> That yeah, sounds so good, though. Like, it is amazing. so good. It is so good. <laughs> Especially on, like, a cold winter day. Exactly. It's great. Uh, I want but some now. <laughs> it's really it's good. It's just a big loophole. Hilarious. Um, yeah. So, um, so, Shabbos is fun. And, of course, there was, like, uh, I believe there's also like a Christian equivalent on Sundays, but the Jewish version is on a Saturday. So um, interesting how like these things kind of travel across cultures and stuff. Uh, also, Christian versions don't tend to be so strict with what you can and cannot do other than don't work and uh, go to synagogue, not synagogue, church. I forgot the word for church uh, for a hot second there. Um, yep. Uh, but like generally there's fewer rules about what you can and cannot do, which uh, like I knew there was going to be rules, but having grown up Methodist and there's already plenty of rules there because I grew up the kind of Methodist where you don't drink alcohol, you don't drink caffeine. Well, you are allowed to drink caffeine, but it's limited, no energy drinks. Um, oh. You don't do drugs, you avoid like mind altering medicines as much as you possibly can. So like anti-anxiety pills that make you drowsy are not really a, a, a good thing. 
and you avoid gambling like the plague. Um, so then suddenly coming into a thing where it's like, we've got much more rules, but we're going to disregard all of the ones that you grew up with. Um, <laughs> it's fine if you drink, you're going to be expected to gamble at some of your holiday events. Uh, don't yep. worry about the caffeine. You can drink as much as you like. Uh, also, we're going to be drinking alcohol every single week, and kosher wine is nasty. I've <laughs> never had good kosher wine. It's always gross. I don't know why, but our synagogue only ever buys the grossest kosher wine. My God, there are several male members of my family who will fight you on that. Let me just say. <laughs> I'm not arguing that there could be some good kosher wine out there, but in like the two years I've been at this synagogue, it's only been bad kosher wine. It's That's only so been funny. bad kosher wine. And we've gotten through like five bottles in this span. Like there's been My a God. lot of kosher wine and yet it's always <laughs> bad. It burns going down your throat. It tastes awful. I don't know why they buy such awful brands. We have like someone who goes to our synagogue, Lubavitch, who is like, took her first shot of this wine um, during Kiddush and was immediately like, this is the worst thing I've ever tasted. Wow, that's amazing. And afterwards demanded the whiskey instead. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe grape juice is more your speed. No, I've also tried the grape juice and the grape juice is the same. It just doesn't have the, the burn. Also, I tend to like I tend to be holding out and giving out the trays and trying to deter the young children from taking the wine and instead making them take the grape juice. Uh, mm. And sometimes that means like bodily turning the tray away from them so that they don't get the delicious forbidden juice. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah. 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 OK, so we did Shabbos, kosher. Uh... JJ, what's your favorite hot? Um, Simchat Torah, hands down, 100%. Okay, There's what is a lot it? Of, uh, it is effectively, hey, it's the end of the high holidays. We're starting from the beginning of the Torah again, because every single year we go right the way through, from the beginning yep. to the end. Uh, and every single year we get to the end, and then we finish reading at the end, and we roll back to the beginning, and we start all over again. <laughs> and um, there's a lot of dancing there is so much dancing and there's a lot of in our synagogue at least parading all six of our Torah scrolls around the synagogue six times three times the men do it three times the women do it the children follow it in the wake and they get like sweets thrown at them uh so one of the kids, it's delightful one of the kids at the synagogue really doesn't like sweets but loves fruit so we will generally have like fruit for him instead uh and Aww. every single time he was handed like a satsuma or a pear or an apple or something or sometimes just like a two or three grapes he looks delighted with himself he was That's so, so happy so it's cute. adorable it is absolutely my favorite holiday holiday just because it's just like hey we made it one more year let's go again we can do this um Aww. so much dancing a lot of alcohol like so much alcohol um and uh just just a lot of fun it's just a lot of fun and i like that what yeah so yeah um just a little clarification yeah so every week on shabbos we read a bit of the torah and then we read a bit of the torah that all the laws and all the stories that go with it 
And then, yeah, at the end of the High Holidays, Simchat Torah comes around, which is when we're supposed to finish it. And then you start the whole thing again the next year. But yeah, it's like a big celebration where everybody goes nuts with the dancing and the candy. And it's great. Great. Great choice. Um, my favorite holiday is actually a more minor one on the calendar, which is called okay. Purim. I do love Purim, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Purim is great. The only way I can really describe it is that it is basically a reverse Halloween, which does happen <laughs> to be coming up. But basically on on Purim, you, you dress up, everybody dresses up, you have parties, you drink a lot, you give candy and food to friends, you give tzedakah, uh, sorry, you give charity, which is tzedakah in Hebrew, to strangers, and uh, you just have a general good time, and that is Purim. It is amazing. It is so much fun, and also every single time, so like the, the villain in like the reading that happens on Purim, every single time his name is announced, everyone boos and stamps their feet, and sometimes they'll have like, I don't know why, our, our synagogue just has like a weird stack of vuvuzelas that we use specifically for this purpose. So there's just a lot of vuvuzelas just blasting constantly throughout the reading uh it oh is so much fun yep exactly it's like a football game everybody is like cheering for their particular character and then every time that yep. one character's name is mentioned you just the idea is that you try to drown him out with noise and it's hilarious yep. love it you're like you're blotting out his name almost um and making sure that he cannot be heard and it is so much fun it's Wonderful. I I last year went like with a very sparkly pink cowboy hat and really extravagant makeup, uh, which was the first and probably last time that anyone in my synagogue will ever see me in makeup. Um, and I had so much fun. <laughs> it was fantastic. That great. Yeah, that's wonderful. I just I hoard candy on Purim. It it's it's really <laughs> bad. <laughs> Just a lot of a lot of candy hoarding. It's so good. Um, yeah. So great. Uh, okay, so um, you have a favorite story in the Torah? Ah, oh, this is a good one because, like, okay, so I really like just all of Joseph's story, just all of it. But particularly, I really like the sections with Reuben. Because mm. Reuben is given every reason that he could possibly want to hate Joseph full-heartedly. And True. sure, he, he, he messes up in some cases. Like, you know, like he's the eldest son. He's supposed to be given the birthright. He is supposed to be preferred. But in the long history of Jewish sons, instead, it's always the youngest. Yep. Um, it is always the youngest, youngest son. Like, I don't know what it is, but God really favors the youngest son, particularly if they're tricksy. If they are, like, a little mischievous, God loves them. Um, <laughs> so it just goes to show that God has a really good sense of humor, because uh, why else would you trick your father into giving you all the blessings of his house uh, by dressing up as your older brother? By the way, this is not, this happens earlier in the Torah than, um, uh, than uh, Joseph, but I think is very, very funny for like just, just, just pure context as to the extent to which the Torah favors the youngest son. Um, it does. But like, yeah. 
Reuven is given so much of a good reason to dislike Joseph, because Joseph has these prophetic dreams in which everyone bows down to him, and he seems to be his father's favorite. And, and he's the youngest is, son, and he's favored and he's, by his own father. Yes. And that is really rough for him. And all the other brothers also don't like Joseph very much. And, yeah, they throw him in a pit. But, like, Reuben spends so much time then worrying about his brother and being like, okay, we now need to go and get him back out. So, like, he's done his time. We need to go and get him back out. What are you talking about? We cannot sell him into slavery. Um, and then they did. And, oh, no, someone else beat him to it. Um, yep. They came back and they were just like, oh, he's gone. Someone stole him. Um, which I guess that's just what happens if you leave your brother in a pit. <laughs> Don't leave your brother in a pit. Uh, it's the moral <laughs> of the story. Just do not leave your brother in a pit. Um, and um, then throughout every other time that we see Reuven, he's like filled with this this sense of like duty to protect like is it Benjamin who's the new youngest after that? I think it's Benjamin. Uh, yeah, Benjamin. Yeah, Benjamin was the youngest after. Yeah, Joseph. he's like, he's so like he's so dedicated to keeping the youngest safe at the expense of his own status as the the, the favored one in the household because he's learned his lesson. He knows that he should not be treating the youngest son badly, and he feels so bad about what happens to Joseph that he's just filled with a sense of I have to do better, I have to improve myself, I have to be better and right. I really love that that the entire time he was given more than enough reason to be like okay what Joseph happened to Joseph was justified because I am the oldest and this is the way it's supposed to be and instead he was like this should never have happened and it's my responsibility because I am the oldest I should have treated him better. And I love oh. that. I love that you're reading so much character into Ruben because we do see a little bit of his development throughout the stories. And yeah, yeah he does have like this kind of fall from grace, this kind of tragic end almost, which is really interesting. Yeah. I mean, like the first time we see him, he's like, what, moving his, like, isn't he, didn't he sleep with his dad's wife? It was weird. It was weird. There's a lot of uh, family dynamics going on there. There is there is a lot weird going on. It's it's really weird. Yeah. And then yeah, and then ultimately his descendants are not the ones who end up being like the holiest people who get to work in the temple. It's another brother's descendants. So, yeah, yeah there are some really interesting uh characters and character arcs in there where you kind of see the development of different people and um he, that's definitely something i love about the torah and judaism is that all the people in these stories are very flawed like there is yeah. nobody here that's perfect there is no savior there's no like immortal being who will like who like does everything good and perfectly like these people are all human and like God likes them and everything, but they definitely do some like bad shit. <laughs> and, yeah. and it's great. It's great to see what how about... they struggle. Yeah. What about you? What's your favorite? Okay. My favorite story is uh 
the story of Jonah or Jonah, which yeah. is yeah, you probably know it as Jonah and the whale. But yes. <laughs> yep, the basic idea is that Jonah was a prophet who was told by God to go to a certain city and tell them to stop sinning and doing bad things. And Jonah goes, nope. And then he just hightails it out of there. And that will never not be funny to me because, buddy, you are running from God. <laughs> Where do you think you're going? And then ultimately he's dumped overboard and swallowed by a whale and then he repents and goes and does what god tells him to but like really bud really where you tried to run from god and it did not work out for you did you miss the part where god knows everything and is all powerful did you miss that part (laughs) i love him he's such a drama queen and then when yoda does go and actually do it and the city repents and Hashem does not just, uh, God does not destroy them. And then Yona is mad about it. He's such a whiner. <laughs> He's pissy about it. <laughs> I really like just how many times throughout the Torah there are people that are just like complaining about what they need to do. Like Moses does this so much. He spends yes, a long time complaining. He just goes, why do I have to do this? I hate doing this. The people hate me. They don't listen to me. They're stupid. Um, I don't like them. And it's just like it's the entire time you're listening to like Moses just complaining his heart out. Like it's, it's no wonder there's a long Jewish tradition of like good natured complaining because these are um, the these are the role models we have. Um, exactly. Yeah. I also <laughs> really like about like the story of Yona as well like he fully has the responsibility that was given to the Jewish people like you you've been chosen to do the dishes my friend and you've decided to not do the dishes after all and unfortunately for you that means bad things are going to happen to you as (laughs) they always have and always will because you said no I'm not going to do the dishes I'm just going to let them stack there and get moldy yeah I mean the giant fish was a was a new one. That was definitely yeah. a creative turn that nobody was expecting. <laughs> yeah, the giant fish was a, a stroke of creativity on God's part, that's for sure. Really? Yeah. So, okay, back to Moses, because I love that guy. So Moses is, like, <laughs> the most important... He's technically the most important character in the Jewish canon. He's, like, the guy, the prophet. And- and he doesn't he turn leads. up until halfway through. True. But he, like, leads the Jewish people out of slavery. He gives the Torah. He te- he gets the Torah from, from God. He teaches the Torah to everyone. And, yeah, he is such a whiner. I love him. Like, even he's not perfect. He's, like, the closest to God that anybody ever gets. And he's still not perfect. He literally whines and is, like, complaining that that he, it feels like he's a mom, like that he's given birth to this nation. And can he please just have a break now? <laughs> it's so funny. This poor dude. It is so funny. He just like, <laughs> he spends so much of his time, like even with his siblings helping him and his uh, father-in-law being like, listen, man, you've got to delegate. You need to delegate. I am <laughs> like, there is an entire like section of a Pasha, which is just, his father-in-law teaching him how to delegate responsibilities because he's trying to do too much by himself. 
Uh, yep. Oh, what then, a mood. <laughs> and like Moses spends so much of his time after that complaining and during that as well complaining he's like i've got so much to do and nobody here respects me they don't even like me and i don't like them and they're all <laughs> sinners and awful and i am just trying my best and they complain all the time and don't you know that they're awful sinners look at them they're building idols down there i'm so mad at them um but like <laughs> But it's so fun to, like, watch him complain all the time and also to, like, see how human and flawed he is. Just Yeah. And he is flawed and human and is still, like, Moshe Rabbeinu. He is Moses, our teacher. Like, he's our guy. He's our guy, you know? Like Yeah. Like, I, as... Yeah? I am full on in some of the later parts of um, the Torah, part of the Moses shut up squad or um, anti-Moses squad in some regards where I'm just like, I don't think, I don't think you're doing any good anymore. And God also sees it. Um, but like, I just, look, throughout so much of it, he's just got such character to him and he feels so alive when you're reading it, that you listen and you're just like, okay, I can understand why this guy is leader. And not just because God chose him, but because he's actually a pretty good leader. He's pretty good. He at is. He is. No, one of my favorite things about him is that, you know, this is our role model. This is like Moshe Rabbeinu, our teacher, the closest we'll ever get to God. But one of my favorite things about him is that as much as he complains about the Jews and how annoying they are and how much he doesn't want to do this, he does stand up for them. Like every yeah. time, every time God wants to destroy the Jewish people because they're being horrible. It's Moses who always stands up for them and is yeah. like, no, 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 no. We've come this far. We're not going back. We're too deep into this. We are keeping going with these people. Like, you made a promise, and so did we. We are seeing this promise through no matter how many times we mess up. And that means you also need to see this promise through. Um, like, just like, it, it feels sometimes like begrudging co-parenting of the Jewish people, um, which I really <laughs> enjoy, of just like, oh, what are our brats doing now? No, you can't. We can't just give them away. They're ours. We're not giving them back. Um, yep. Yeah. You really do be like that sometimes, that uh, <laughs> they're all just very human and interesting yeah. and flawed, which is great. I love that for us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay so and of course we all get there's like this joke in the jewish community that like because of certain characters in the bible that these kinds of traits of stubbornness and whining and complaining all kind of pass down to us and that's why we're all like that <laughs> yeah I'm not going to lie, this is a thing that also applies to converts. Um, it is just in our nature. Uh, we um, we see, even before, like, uh, I know a lot of converts were just like this before, and then upon joining a Jewish community were just like this, but now surrounded by other people who were just like this as well, and it was uh, pretty good for them, honestly. Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, hmm. Do you want to talk a little bit more about your conversion process? Like what that looked like, like from on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah. So um, I, as I've mentioned, was raised Methodist Christian. 
and I was <laughs> I was repeatedly kicked out of Sunday school for asking too many questions. Uh, I Sorry. had so many questions. No, it's absolutely fair. This is a very funny thing, even looking back on it, because I stopped going to Sunday school when I was like six years old because I kept on being kicked out so much. Because I you kept were on being six. <laughs> I had oh so my many god. <laughs> refused to answer and it drove me up the wall so much that in the end I was just like fine I'm not coming back um wow. and after that I think they breathed a sigh of relief by the way my grandfather is a Methodist well was he's dead now he was a Methodist preacher um and my gran is like a pillar of the local Methodist community so they had like wow. one unruly grandchild who was asking so many questions that the Sunday school was eventually like, look, this kid is a disruption. Can you just sit him in church? Just sit him in the church. He's going to do better, like just sat there listening than arguing with us all the time. Um, I wasn't actually arguing with them. Mostly it was just I wanted to know an answer to a question about whatever we were learning about that week. Right. And a lot of the time uh, they could not give me an answer. Which I, in my tiny baby stubbornness, did not appreciate. Uh, for mm. context, I was also raised by a lawyer, um, which means that I argue like nobody else. I <laughs> argue like fun, because it is fun to me. It's fun to me to poke and prod holes in things and see where things fail. Uh, you can see why I was drawn to Judaism, because it's a lot of poking and prodding at things and being like, why is there a hole here? And then just filling in the gaps as to why there's a hole there. Um, and yeah. it wasn't until I, was, I think I was about 14, 15, uh, when like, I started to take more of an interest in Judaism like properly. Um, and started to think about it and consider it and consider all the things that I'd known throughout my life, known in quotation marks about Judaism. It wasn't until I was doing like my religion GCSE that I stopped and started doing a lot more research. And then I did a philosophy A and did a lot more research into Jewish, Jewish philosophy. And um, I, I knew from like probably the age of like, 17, 18, that like, in terms of like, theology and philosophy, Jewish thought is where I fit best. Yeah, no, that but makes like, sense. Because a yeah. lot of, I feel like a lot of, from my experience, a lot of Jewish thought and philosophy and intellectualism is about asking questions, like, why are these rules like this? And, you know, how can we loophole them? <laughs> but also, how do these rules affect our daily lives? Like, what if this situation happens? What do we do then? What is like the the yeah. proper the what is like the morally correct Jewish way to do to like deal with this situation? And then it just goes on yeah. from there. And I loved it. And it, like, it was mostly I mostly got like the reason like I fully realized that like this is where I fit best was because a Jewish friend with me listened to my story about being kicked out of Sunday school was like that is the most Jewish thing I've ever heard from a Gentile um <laughs> and I at that point stopped and went huh I think you're right um and then I moved away to uni didn't really think about it for a while I thought about it in terms of like when I started to think about Judaism I know knew that it was a thing that I wanted to explore more 
when I moved away from home because my mother is, at the time, or for a lot of me growing up, was a hardcore anti-theist. Um, mm. And uh, yes, it's a bit weird that I was raised um, uh, in accordance with my grandparents, which is me being uh, Methodist and also being raised by an anti-theist. It gave me some really warped senses of religion and God. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> yes, it's um, incredibly messed up. Uh, just like some of the thoughts that I ended up coming out with when I was a child about religion. Um, mm. And so I knew that it was a thing that I wanted to do more when I like moved away. And I moved away and I found out that there were, you know, two synagogues. And I didn't, I, it took me about like four years <laughs> to work up the nerve to email the synagogue. In practicality, it would have been two, but then there was COVID. Um, Fair. And I just didn't. And then by the time I was like certain that it was a thing that I wanted to do um, and go to the synagogue just to see, you know, because I spent so long thinking about it. Like there is only so long you can spend thinking and researching before you have to, you can't learn everything from books. You also right. have to be the practical act of experiencing. And I wanted to experience it. Mm -hmm. So I go... So You've been working with a rabbi, right? Like learning um, with him, talking with him. Yes. So I have, we don't have a, an Orthodox rabbi at our um, synagogue. We do have a Mazorti rabbi who comes through. There's also a Mazorti rabbi who comes to classes. Mm -hmm. uh, the liberal Jewish community has a, a student rabbi there. So like I spend a lot of my time talking with like both Jews by birth, Jews by choice, rabbis, yeah. cantors, um, a lot of conversation about like what it means to be Jewish, how you live Jewishly, and in like right. a practical sense, like what it means to live Jewishly on a day by day basis, and mm -hmm. how through that, um, I feel like the biggest part of like the conversion process for me has been reframing how I think about the things I do in my daily life. Um, yeah, I can see. Why that. am I eating what I'm eating? Why am I dressing how I'm dressing? How do yeah. I approach other people in my daily life? Am I doing right by them in my daily life? Um, right. Thinking and putting effort into community, mm -hmm. belonging to a community. Yeah. Um, so. Really... Yeah. That's interesting because I never really went through that whole reframing, questioning thing because, you know, I grew up with it. This is all that I really know. But I know that my parents did because they had to go through like a similar journey of sort of questioning why the lifestyle changes. Why am I doing things this way and not this other way? And that is definitely like a struggle in Judaism, especially with those those kind of life those lifestyle choices that are not super logical. But like, it's really interesting that you sort of have to like question everything, right? That's very cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's not even so simple of an act of like just converting. It's an act of like naturalization into a citizenship almost. Like you're relearning right. the language. You're learning the language. You're learning the culture. You're learning the customs. You're learning the people around you. You're making connections with them, and you mm -hmm. do have like guidance throughout it all. Rabbis are 
fantastic fountains of knowledge. And a lot of the time, cantors are too. Um, uh, and they all have like such a depth of knowledge um, that it is always worth just like asking a rabbi if you have like even a weird question. Like I had one weigh in on the um, Jewish vampire thing. Um, just <laughs> you asked a rabbi about Jewish vampires? Yes. Um, That's amazing. Uh, uh, because I was curious and my friends were curious too. And in the end, I was just like, screw it. I'm going to ask my rabbi. Um, because like, this was a group of uh, Jewish people who we were all having this argument, Jewish people and one Muslim who was having the potential thing of like, if I create a, a Muslim vampire, what do I do then? And we came <laughs> to the conclusion that it was probably a similar enough ruling. Um, yeah, like, so what did, the, what did the rabbi say? I have to know. <laughs> the rabbi's first question is, why are you asking me this? Um, <laughs> the rabbi's second question, uh, after I explained why I wanted to know, uh, was to ask me, does the vampire have to drink human blood specifically in order to live? And right. the next question was, will this then kill the human? Um, yeah. So. The conclusion we came to is, if it kills the human, absolutely not. This Jewish vampire cannot be allowed to live, um, because that's murder, baby. Um, <laughs> uh, if, like, this Jewish vampire has to drink blood to live, but it won't kill the human, but it has to be human, it's permissible, but the human should be willing. Um, right. If, that's interesting. Um, if you don't, like, if it's a simple act of you don't have to drink human blood to live, but it has to be some blood, then animal blood is permissible, but human blood isn't. Um, and if you don't need blood to live, but crave it, you just don't drink blood. That's right. it. Um, and that was the conclusion that, like, the rabbi played into and a bunch of my other friends like contributed to and we argued about it until we came to like this general conclusion uh they also asked some of their rabbis as well and this was the conclusion that collectively we came to i'm not sure if their rabbis had like slightly separate takes uh i yeah. think one of them was just like hey if it's any blood at all that's a no-go uh, and right. some were like we can accept it if it will mean that the vampire can live because like you know, this guy might be a mensch. He might be like the tenth guy in your minion. You know, like you still need him. Um, oh my god. <laughs> okay, wait. Can uh, I just define? Can I define terms for a second? <laughs> okay. Yep. So, <clears throat> a mensch is a a good person, like uh, in Yiddish, I believe, which is not exactly Hebrew, but kind of close. Uh, a mensch is like. Uh, yeah, a good person, a polite person, a courteous person. Ah, he's such a mensch, you know? You might hear that in, uh, in like, old New York TV shows sometimes. But, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And, oh, minion, right. So when people come together to pray or daven in a synagogue or temple, um, the idea, you're supposed to really have 10 people, sometimes, sometimes men, 10 men, which are called a minion. And, uh, you know, there's like this joke that like the last person, the 10th guy to come and join the minion is like the most important. Like we need our 10th. Where is our 10th guy? So uh, just the idea of yeah. a vampire making the 10th in a minion is very funny to me. <laughs>
So I think that was just like the route that like, um, because like my rabbi knew that this was kind of a lighthearted question. So that was yeah. the where I was like, you might be the 10th guy for your minion. You know, you don't want to kick him out just because he needs to drink blood to live. Sometimes we need like, you know, like we're not going to, if you need to do something that preserves your life and doesn't come at the expense of another's life, then sure, you should probably do it. Um, like breaking a mitzvah, if like you needed to do that in order to live, not that bad of a thing because you're living and that's the important part. Um, whereas, you know, another rabbi that I think my friend uh, Aaron talked to was just like, nope, it's blood drinking. It's not allowed. Sorry. Yeah. No blood. That's probably the answer I would get if I asked. It's just like, it's blood. It's not happening. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But um, real quick, mitzvah is kind of the Hebrew word for a commandment or a deed, like a good deed. So like the, you would say like the mitzvah of keeping Shabbos, like that is like an action that we have to take that the Torah approves of. So that is what mitzvah is, if you hear it in a other context. So yeah. Very cool. Yeah. All right. I love the Jewish vampires. Same. Yes. I'm so glad we got to talk about it two days before Halloween. <laughs> I Every now and again, I remember about this long conversation about Jewish vampires, and I'm filled with like this brief moment of joy. Um, it is absolutely like one of the stupidest conversations I've ever had, and also one of the most entertaining. It's like the the, the dragons lighting candles on Shabbat conversation. <laughs> Um, which if you don't please tell me more (laughs) oh my gosh it's a question of if you had a dragon could this dragon light candles on shabbat there are a few things that need to go in firstly so there uh, there is a ritual that you're supposed to light candles to kind of welcome in shabbat and then after after shabbat starts you're not allowed to like light candles or turn on lights or anything so that's kind of like the last ritual to welcome it in before you have to like drop everything and rest sorry go on yeah no that's fine that's a good point to define it i keep forgetting now that there's like things that are not universal knowledge um i um so firstly is this dragon a roommate or a pet if this dragon is a pet then no because that's a a a working animal in that case that cannot be allowed uh, you are putting your animals to work. No different from like making your ox plow a field in that case. Um, if it's a roommate, next question is, is this dragon Jewish? If the dragon is Jewish, no, this dragon cannot light, light candles on Shabbat. That is not allowed to happen. Wait, are, Thirdly, you telling me that, are you telling me that the dragon is a Shabbos goy? I'm telling you that the dragon could well be a Shabbos goy. Um, thirdly, <laughs> Um, if the dragon is a gentile, first, there are then two ways to go from this. Oh boy. Is the dragon being made to do it? If the dragon is being made to do it, then you cannot do this. There are specific commandments. You shall do no work, neither your male nor female slave. This would include a dragon. Regardless of the dragon's gender, no work for the dragon. <laughs> uh, if the dragon is not made to do it, but like get a kick out of doing it, sure, uh, then the dragon can light candles on Shabbat. Um, if the dragon is also using its own breath, then you also need to consider like, um, will it physically harm the dragon to not light, like breathe fire? 
then uh, if it will physically harm the dragon to not breathe fire, then you've got to let the dragon breathe fire. If it won't harm the dragon, uh, then, like, you follow the flowchart. Um, but it basically <laughs> comes down to, uh, can you make a goyish dragon your Shabbos goy? Oh my uh, god. <laughs> this, is the essence, this is the essence of Judaism, by the way, which is applying insane rules to fictional situations. That is basically the whole essence of Jewish philosophy and theology and law. <laughs> yeah, and you never know, like, one day this might be relevant. One day you might actually have the question of, huh, suddenly this is applicable. We have a fire-breathing creature who, do they like, can they like carols on Shabbat? This is an important question and we need to know it. You never know. I sincerely <laughs> hope that happens in real life. <laughs> it is a, like, considering that, like, one of our other main texts is just, like, 600 years of rabbis arguing with each other in like yep. a book that concentrically moves outwards in like almost circles of commentary like oh my gosh can you imagine rashi's comments on jewish vampires and uh shabbos dragons oh my gosh okay so real quick the book that jj is referring to is uh known as both the gemara and the mishnah it's complicated they're two different books but anyway yes it is basically six thousand years of many 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 different rabbis and jewish scholars arguing about what exactly the jewish laws mean rashi is a very famous commentator on jewish law who basically tries to explain and translate what other rabbis say and then there are commentaries on rashi which are called super commentaries and everybody is just commenting on everybody else's Stuff. It's sort of like a giant Tumblr post that just keeps getting longer throughout history, and uh, it never stops. It never stops. It never, ever stops. I had to learn Gemara in high school, and oh, it was no. it was a traumatic experience because it's not written chronologically. It's not written coherently. It is basically just stream of consciousness where they try to make up situations and then rule on them for how the situation should go. And then they're like, but wait a minute, what about if this happens? And what about that option? Can we talk about that? And then it just keeps going. It doesn't stop. I am so traumatized by Gamara. It was insane. I love it. It is hands down my favorite thing. Like the, the best part of studying has been Gamara. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Oh yeah, that I, am I mean, yeah. If you're, a, if you're a lawyer, it's beautiful <laughs> because it's just law. It's just miscellaneous, uh, like details about life. But <laughs> if you, oi, if you have ADHD, then all those Hebrew letters uh, will make your brain go a little nuts. So. Oh yeah, that's fair. I I can't read Hebrew partially because like I'm. I'm actually pretty good at learning languages. Unfortunately for me, I'm both dyslexic and blind, uh, which Oof. makes learning Hebrew pretty damn hard. If anyone has any good large print Hebrew learning resources out there, please do let me know. It is so Ooh. hard to find ones that like are large print. Um, yeah, Oof. Hebrew is hard. I mean, I am not good with languages and I find Hebrew very difficult. True. I. I, I do find, like, just vowel markers hard, and then you get to the point where they're like, eh, you don't need the vowel markers anymore, you can make it up. And I'm like, no, I want them back, please. I want the <laughs> vowel markers back. 
<laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, that's hard. Ugh. So I can read Hebrew mostly. Like I can like read name places and stuff, but I yeah. cannot like actually have a conversation for the life of me. Like that that is just not happening. My brain does not work that way. No, that's fair and understandable. I I feel like given time I would be able to have a conversation but not easily read. Um like, I know that Hebrew Braille exists, but firstly, I'm really bad at even English Braille because uh turns out that if you're dyslexic, you're also dyslexic in Braille, usually. Um, oh, my gosh. And I know, because it's a language disorder and not inherently about letters, uh, right. you can also be dyslexic in a tactile language instead, in a tactile code, um, which is really annoying, by the way. It's so annoying. Um, so I know that like Hebrew Braille exists, uh, but I probably wouldn't get to learn it because like you already know how expensive like a prayer book and like yeah in, in just like printed regular print Hebrew. Can you imagine how expensive it would be for large print or Braille? Yeah, no, I I get that. Oof. Yeah, um, but like I. I am pretty good at languages. Like I did study languages before I decided I hate university and left. Like I, I really enjoy languages. So it wouldn't be too hard for me if I had like the right setup. It's just that I don't have the right setup, uh, which is a bit of a pain. But it's I I will make it work eventually. Yeah. Oh, good luck with that. Um... <laughs> Thank you. So, yeah, I mean, in conclusion, Judaism is sort of about asking questions and studying and, like, being curious. Even when things don't really make sense, it's okay. Keep asking, keep learning, that sort of thing. Um, and, yes, Jewish vampires should absolutely exist. And <laughs> I'm never going to get that out of my head. So thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I've loved hearing, like, all your stories and all that cool cool stuff that you guys have had to say because like i know nothing so <laughs> oh, i hope you learn something indeed you learn something new every day and today i've learned many things about jewish vampires and whether dragons, dragons can light the fire the candles <laughs> <laughs> there you go yep there we go uh, thank you for listening to Hey I Like. Uh, if you like what you heard, you can listen to us more on Spotify or wherever you're holding your podcasts, I guess. Um, uh, you can also find us on, are we on Patreon? We're on Patreon, yes, right? Yes, we are so on Patreon. Support, you can support us on Patreon. Uh, you can also find us on YouTube uh, as Hey I Like Podcast, I believe. Um, no, it's not, but the link is somewhere. Who got to it before us? Who got to it before us? Um, uh, you can find us on uh, YouTube as Hey I Like. Uh, you can find us also on Tumblr as Hey I Like. I believe we still have a Twitter, I'm sorry, X account. Although, how much longer that's going to be operational? Who knows? It might have broken down completely by the time this comes out. Yeah, I think that's more or less everything. If you want the links for anything and everything that I've mentioned here, they should be in the description. Uh, thanks for listening. Yep, our next episode will be TTRPGs. Ooh. Ooh. 
We're going to have yeah. Shakespeare stuff up. That's going to be exciting. Um, super duper special surprise for people on Folio Day, which is the 8th of November. I think that will have already been and gone by the time this episode goes up. Probably, yeah, yeah, it will. It will have already happened. But if you haven't seen it already, there was Folio Day stuff on the 8th of November. Um, so if you're interested in Shakespeare, go and check that out. Um, that was fun. I liked doing that. So I think that is everything. So mm -hmm. I guess yep. it's now time to say goodbye from all of yes. us. Yes. Thank you for having me, Jess. It was really nice. It's Thank been you. amazing. We will have to have you back on again sometime. Woo! You did like forward. my entire job for me. You asked all the questions You're and welcome. answered them. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Proud of myself. Goodbye from us all. Yeah. Yes. Bye. It Bye. is goodbye. Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you've made it all the way to the end, congrats! You're officially much stronger than half of our friends. If you're enjoying listening to this podcast, please subscribe so you get notified when we update, or sign up for our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash hey underscore I underscore like. We have a direct line to us, the creators. You can also follow us on Tumblr at hey I like, which is all lowercase. That's all for now. See you next time on Hey I Like.